0: And welcome to another edition of the Beer Beervana Podcast. How are you, Def? Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful sunny day in Portland, Oregon.
1: Yeah, it's one of those classic uh, Portland days where it's, it's cloudy in the morning and then slowly the
0: clouds lift and the s- sunshine is unveiled. That's right. And it's supposed to get even kind of hot today, so...
1: Yes, and by kind of hot, you mean it by Portland standards, which is to say like
0: 77. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's pretty darn hot. <laughs> uh, this is, of course, the Beer Vana Podcast with me, as always, Jeff Allworth, author of The Widmer Way. I was about to say Beer Bible first, but I know that's not your latest. So The Widmer Way, The Beer Bible, Secrets of the Master Brewers, and other things, various and sundry.
1: Indeed. And you are Patrick Emerson a uh, professor of economics at Oregon State University. That's right. Um, should we punch that up? Have you done anything lately I should be promoting, <laughs> plugging? No.
0: <laughs> no? <laughs> I do. I, 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 uh, I teach my classes, a podcast with you, and that's my life.
1: Oh, you are kind of a... a Can we mention your your trip to Pendleton, or is that
0: that nothing? Yeah, you can mention my trip to Pendleton. So you're
1: also like a, you're kind of a a, a specialty informant at that trial. (laughs) Specialty informant? I don't know what it's (laughs) called. Witness
0: witness. Uh, (laughs) I serve from time to time as an expert witness. Expert witness. For uh, cases where their economic damages need to be calculated, they need an economist to calculate those economic damages. Probably more specifically, they need an economist with credentials to show up in court and seem like... He or she knows what they're talking about. They need something on the record, and you're the guy. <laughs> and so I was the guy. Uh, so I um, it turns out to get to Pendleton, Oregon from Portland, Oregon, uh, it is possible to fly. There is this little piddly airline known as something something. I can't even remember now.
1: Puddle jumper air.
0: Puddle jumper air. Um, the reason that these, by the way, if you want to know. The deep background. The reason these these little airlines uh survive is because they actually get federal subsidies. The, uh, the feds subsidize these routes. Anyway, there used to be a bigger airline in Portland that su- subsidized a bunch of little routes around. Big socialism rares. The, the only head? the only thing left now is this one airline that does only one route, Pendleton, uh sorry, Portland, Pendleton and back. Wow. So they got me to Pendleton. Nice. No no problem. Little eight-seater uh uh propeller plane. Nice nice flight. Everything was fine. Uh I did my shtick in Pendleton, and then that evening I was supposed to fly back to Portland. And guess what? Little Puddlejump Airline ran out of time for their pilots. Their pilots got overtime, which Uh, meant the FAA says you can't fly anymore. Uh, And then it turns out that getting from Pendleton anywhere is problematic. Well, you could have rented a car. Uh, You would think. (laughs) (laughs) There are are no car rental agencies in Pendleton. Wow. There is a rental agency in Hermiston uh, nearby. But they don't let their cars go one way because apparently they don't get them back. <laughs> Shocking. So we're, 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 So uh, I had to be driven to Walla Walla. Wow. Walla Walla, place so nice they named it twice. Yes. Uh, Washington. Rented a car, drove it back to Portland Airport where I picked up my car and drove home. This is like uh, so the, wilds, my the, the, the wilds thing, of eastern Oregon, 300 yeah. miles from Portland. But let's turn this back to beer. I did stop in the Prodigal Son brew pub, which as far as I can tell... I'm about to piss off a lot of Pendletonians. It's about the only really good thing in Pendleton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, shaking his head. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the bitterness of getting stuck in Pendleton, Oregon.
1: Please direct your uh, vitriol at Professor Emerson. Yes. Bring it. Bring it. My, my kinfolk come from the East. Well, I'll so. tell
0: you what's interesting is that I, like, three or four people from Pendleton kept talking about how nice Hermiston is and how Hermiston's got it going on. <laughs> and one of them said, I'm trying to move to Hermiston, but I'm kind of stuck in Pendleton. So I was getting a theme there that uh-huh. there's a lot of, uh, that Her- Hermiston apparently is the place to be. Anyway, uh, long story short, went to. Uh, Prodigal Son Brew Pub had a lovely meal there. Really good food, great beer. I actually, talked to a couple of people that used to work for the brewery, and I said, as I like to do, how what what kind of a place is it? It's a good place to work, and they gave it glowing reviews. Excellent. So everything's good about Prodigal Son, their beer. And I don't mean this in a bad way at all. It's kind of stuck in time, like they have a they have a IPA that's wonderful right out of like 2005 or something sure like bitter and and piney and floral and wonderful um and they also have a couple of uh, uh wheat beers so <laughs> right after we had taped our wheat beer pod i went to ah. Pendleton and had wheat beers two, two different kinds of wheat beers one with a uh, uh, what was it? Huckleberry or something like that, and then one just a plain one. Exactly like we talked about. Wheat and plain. And the wheat fields were green and it was it was really nice. So actually then now I'm gonna turn my turn the tide on Pendleton. It was it's a really pretty place. It's a really pretty area. So that's what I did.
1: All right. There you go. That's Patrick Emerson, folks.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I should have mentioned that you uh you write something called the Beervana blog. True. You tweet at Beervana. And you kinda tweet at Beeronomics <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, well, I retweet sometimes. All right, we should get this show on the road. Today, we're going to have a very special guest in store for you, and actually, we mean it this time. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. uh, Dick Cantwell is one of the three founders of Seattle's legendary Elysian Brewery. Uh, You may recall that in 2015, when Elysian was acquired by AB InBev, Dick was one of Uh, was the one dissenting vote out of the three. Uh, He didn't stay with the company following the acquisition and instead went on to pursue a very interesting and very different brewing project in San Francisco. Uh, So we're going to talk to Dick about Elysian, his new project, and anything else that arises. So looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, it'll be great to have him, and he's going to be phoning in, so we need to be uh, ready when he does. And
0: this is like new. Actually, we did do a phone interview before in the old technology, but this is the new phone technology... Into the studio, and in, right into the studio. Yeah, all right, we should. All, we forgot oh, to uh, mention that we are here, coming to you from the studios of X Ray FM in North Portland, North Northeast. Portland. And
1: that's right. And I think we should start introducing uh, producer Will Romey on the other side of the glass. Yeah, uh, turns out Will knows more about beer than we do. <laughs> a key key partner in this endeavor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, but before we talk to Dick, of course, we have to do the news.
1: Back on May 9th, uh, Dogfish Head and Boston Beer delivered one of the biggest announcements in the history of craft brewing. I think it's not exaggerated to say. The two companies had inked a $300 million deal to Merge. Boston Beer is the con- country's ninth largest brewery, Dogfish Head the 22nd largest. Uh, the deal developed quickly over just the previous six weeks, and the companies didn't describe how they plan to merge their operations. Uh, but
0: Yeah, Merge is an interesting...
1: Yeah. Uh, term. It
0: can mean a million things. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of speculation about what they are going to do. There's some speculation that um, Sam collagione the Dogfish Head founder, is maybe the, the uh, succession plan for Jim Cook there at Boston Beer. There's a lot of speculation, but not a lot so, of hard news.
0: Yeah. This is really hard to wrap your head around, right? Because one, why would Sam, and then how do you pronounce his last name? I
1: yeah, I tried to get through that as fast as possible and not
0: dwell on it. I, I, I always want to do it very Italian. Or yeah, I, I'm sure
1: that's... Originally, that's how it's pronounced. I'm not sure how he it. <laughs> anyway, we'll
0: call him it. Sam. So why would yeah, he want to be does. the CEO of a big, giant, uh, now, a corporation, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he does. I think that's a lot of speculation. Oh, okay. Man. Yeah, I mean... And then uh, the
0: second thing is, what... Why? Just, like, if you're Boston Beer, why? Like, what does this get you that... Uh,
1: well, it makes... It seems to make more sense for me from Boston Beer's perspective than from... Okay, so from Dogfish's so, so, side, so land on me, baby. I, well, Boston Beer is this company that hasn't really figured out a new a new strategy
0: post uh, Boston Lager. That's true. They haven't really made a name for themselves of innovative, cutting edge beers. Exactly. So partnering with a, a brewery
1: whose very brand is innovation. Okay. Uh, and has this actually? I think. Perhaps the strongest brand identity in, in all of craft beer.
0: So it could be a growth center for the corporation. Yeah. Along and,
1: with um, well, and re- Alco Pops. We recently did uh, <laughs> our Kettle Sour uh, podcast and we oh, had the Sequench. The Sequench. It's one of the hottest beers in America. That's a good reason. Well, it's yeah. So good. Totally. And it, now having tasted that, I could see how that, that thing is not a, a fad. That, that will be a popular beer for a long time. So, you know, it's an infusion that of. totally a fad. You think it's
0: a fad? Well, I mean, it's going to be replaced by something in a few years.
1: I think that beer will be popular for a long time. Okay, uh, and then anyway, that's yeah. what my, my bet. Boston Beer thinks it's going to be popular for a long time too.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. So it's kind of like Boston Beer's now become the role, taking on the role of AB InBev and some of the big ones, looking for I, these I, innovative craft brewers to give them profit centers and bolster their image. Eh?
1: I think so. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I mean, there was there was this uh, uh, private equity stake that uh, had that that the Dogfish had was the the they had to pay that off somehow and that was coming yeah, I feel up, like so. a few
0: years ago we talked about that yeah, yeah
1: and i think that might have been a part of the motivation from dogfish's side i don't know yeah. it's a it's a weird it's weird we're gonna definitely
0: be talking about this one again all right well we'll keep our eyes on it so yeah. in local news in other news of legacy breweries you say which
1: is also local news sorry yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: sorry yeah i freely answered <laughs> the beginning there yeah uh rogues longtime head brewer john meyer legend uh, in these parts, announced he was retiring effective July. Uh, John, see, I'm stepping on your lines. Uh, John is a legend in the Northwest and has been at the helm of Rogue for 30 years. Yeah, Let that sink in. That's a thing. 30 years. Uh, In that time, he's brewed over 22,000 batches of beer and won a case full of trophies. He's one of the first wave of brewers who helped establish craft brewing in the U.S., and he just turned 64 years old. And I have a story, by the way, told to me by Jack Joyce, uh, one of the founders of Rogue, told me the story of how he hired John uh, originally mm. to be the brewer at- uh, Do tell. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, hopefully I'll get this right. They met in an airport in Alaska. He, well, that that's probably correct because- Well, he told that to me, so he's lying to me, but, right, but but my memory- Yes. Okay. I mean, I think your memory is correct. Oh, good.
1: <laughs> because before he was working, before he came to Rogue- he, uh, uh, John Meyer was working for Alaskan Brewing. So, so
0: what what, what uh, Jack told me, if memory serves, is that they, they just happened to run into each other and started up a conversation in an airport in Anchorage or something like that. And uh, he said, you should come work for me. And that the rest is history, 30 and years of history.
1: John is a native Oregonian, so I think that was play, probably played a role in his wanting to come back home. And, and yep. it was probably a pretty darn good decision. I bet he, he's looking back and thinking that was uh, a nice
0: life's work. And over so. the years, I've heard a million rumors that John was leaving Rogue and it never happened. Nope. And he's he's a lifer. He's a lifer. So congratulations, Absolutely. Uh, John Meyer. Cheers to John. Uh, okay. So now we got to turn to our main topic, which is uh, our interview with uh, Dick Cantwell uh, of Magnolia Brewing in San Francisco, formerly of Elysian in Seattle. Yep. Uh, so uh, without further ado, why don't we call him up?
1: All right. Yeah. So we have uh, Dick Cantwell on the line. Hello, Dick. Hi. Dick is, probably a man who needs no introduction, but we'll give you one anyway. Dick is currently the head of brewing operations at Magnolia Brewery in San Francisco. Uh, He is uh, one of the original founders of Elysian Brewing in Seattle, and he has written a number of books, including uh, Barley Wine, uh, which he wrote with Fall Allen, Brewing Eclectic IPA, and Wood and Beer, a Brewer's Guide, uh, which he wrote with Peter Buchart, who is no longer actually at uh, New Belgium. He's off on his own project. So you have had a ton of experience in the beer industry, uh, and we want to get to all of that, but we would like to start uh, and hear what you're doing now, because it's a pretty fascinating project that you got involved with a couple of years ago. Will you tell us a little bit about the, the Magnolia project and how that came about, and, and uh, we'll ask questions as we go along.
2: Sure. Well, I've been, I've been involved with Magnolia now for a couple of years. Uh, I think we, we officially took it over about a year and a half ago. Uh, It's a partnership between me and New Belgium. We became aware of it, well, partly through sort of a circuitous search that I was undertaking at the time with uh, Garrett Christians from Out Beersel. He and I had talked about doing something together, putting together maybe a a U.S.-based blendery of some of his Lambic beer and other spontaneously fermented and and conventionally fermented beers uh, produced in this country. So in the course of looking around for that, uh, we, it, we, it turned out that uh, Magnolia was uh, for sale. It was in bankruptcy. And so uh, by the time the dust all settled, Garrett was no longer part of the sort of corporate structure, though I trust that he and I will work together in the future. But, um, you know, it was sort of for me, it was a, an opportunity to sort of step back into an earlier phase of my career when Elysian only had a couple of locations because it's really kind of fun to have more than one brewery to play with. Uh, you can have a small one for variety and a larger one to produce meaningful, more meaningful quantities of beer. So what we've done at Magnolia is we've taken over a brewery that was known for making pretty much almost all English-style beers, almost all English-style ales, right. and I feel like we've kind of brought Magnolia into the modern age. We still brew some of those beers in rotation, though I have changed many of the recipes Mm -hmm. because I think tastes have changed. Uh, I think people aren't quite so into, you know, Marisotter malt and English hops, that kind of thing. A lot has happened in both the malt and the hops areas, you know, since Magnolia was founded in 1997.
1: Patrick's crying a little bit. We've been making more modern
2: (laughs) IPAs, uh, things that sort of correspond to a lot of my inquiries. I've also, you know, I've got some good brewers here, and that they have come up with a bunch of beers, too, that we do. Uh, I always look at recipes, but why not? You've got good people, just as I did at Elysian, and let them turn them loose, let them make beer. Upcoming project that I'm really getting excited about now, we did a complete remodel of one of the Magnolia locations, and the second phase of that is about to sort of come to fruition, and that's the opening of a big event space next door. It's about 5,500 square feet. And that we'll, we'll be having you know events for tech releases and weddings and things like that there, but part one corner of that room is mine, and that's where I'm going to put a dozen small fooders that mm-hmm. I bought from uh, uh, an Italian cooper. Uh, they're used uh, red wine fooders, mm-hmm. uh, pretty small. Eight of them are only 750 liters, but that's still seven barrels of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of them are 25 hectoliters, and I've also got a cool ship sitting there ready mm-hmm. to be sort of commissioned, so I'm excited about Learning how to do things that I really don't know how to do you know I've read written a lot about (laughs) you know wood and all that kind of stuff a lot of that book was the benefit of Peter's experience Yeah, but now I'm really looking forward to turning my own hand to it I'm sure we'll be dumping some beer, but uh, I hope eventually we'll make something that's worth drinking
1: All right before we talk about the cool ship, which I'm extremely interested in um, the original uh, Magnolia, which is there in the hate Uh, focused a lot on not just English-style beers, but cask ales. And I'm wondering, are you continuing to do cask? There were a lot of cask engines in that pub. Or are you kind of shifting away from that as well?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. Cask has always been something really close to my heart. Uh, Back when I worked at Pike Place Brewery in Seattle in the early 90s, uh, Fal Allen and Kevin Forehand and I wrote an article for the now-defunct magazine Brewing Techniques, sort of helping American brewers figure out how to synthesize cask by using, you know, just American style hardware, because back then there wasn't a lot of English stuff available. I remember we we did some cask conditioned beers in Firkins at Pike Place. This is from, I, I worked there from 91 to 94. Um, and just to get the just to get the bits and pieces, the spiles and the bungs and the shives and all that kind of stuff, we had to have our friend Jake at Spinnaker's up in Victoria buy them where he could and send them down to us in Seattle on the Victoria Clipper. (laughs) So (laughs) cask has always been really important to me. And, you know, Dave McLean, the founder of of, um, Magnolia, put five beer engines in at the pub. And while we don't have the kind of following that can support five engines – we typically have two to three on, and they have a pretty good following. They, we manage to go through that beer, um, you know, in the time that really keeps it fresh and delicious. And then at the Dogpatch location, we have two engines. Or, no, we have three engines, but typically we'll have a couple of beers available. So, no, no, I totally conti- expect to continue with that, both with traditional beers and trying out some of the odder stuff because, you know, people don't necessarily expect to find uh, – uh, guava habanero double ipa on cask or a buddha's <laughs> hand ipa on cask but you know that's the kind of thing we put out there alongside the mild or the imperial stout
1: cool yeah well we're we're you you probably don't know this because uh, you don't listen obsessively to our podcast but patrick and i are both big fans of uh ale, so we're delighted to hear that uh the uh the the wild program that you're going to do you're uh you're in a major United States city, uh, which is not. So is
2: Cantillon, except <laughs> for the United States part.
1: That's true. Although um, the that brewery has been there a lot longer than yours has, so I think it's got some resident <laughs> <Right>. microflora. So, <laughs> are you are you considering that a challenge as you look at that cool ship? What? How are you going to? Uh, yeah, tell me about how you uh, how you manage. You're planning to use a cool ship there.
2: Well, <clears throat> absolutely, I find it a challenge. That's why I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, But, you know, I I really don't know what to expect. Um, We don't have a dedicated room to it. We haven't yet put in any kind of climate control equipment because I don't know what to expect yet. I did get the cool ship on wheel uh, because that uh, room that it's in, my my footer area is sort of toward the back of the room. And I want to be able to wheel it forward and have it be much closer to the windows Mm -hmm. for when it's time to inoculate the word. And then when we empty it out, we'll just push back where it belongs um so yeah san francisco i i i think san francisco should be really interesting i mean i don't know what to expect in terms of the results but as far as the climate here is concerned you know it, it doesn't get very hot and it doesn't get very cold right and i i'm i'm tempted to think that the spontaneous aspects we might be able to stretch the season a bit more than they are able to do in in belgium or in some other places but yeah. uh We'll see. I mean, the I, the one thing I do expect is that I'll be dumping some beer. Sure.
1: <laughs> and uh, do you plan when you're uh, brewing the the wort for that? Are you planning to do that in a traditional way or experiment with uh, non turbid mashing? Or uh, have you thought about that yet?
2: All of the above. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I've thought of I've thought of all that. <laughs> I figure the first time I try it, I might as well try the turbid mash just to to see how that goes and do it do it in a way that. Uh, you know, apes some of the technique that I am aware of from the other part of the world. But, uh, I mean, this is for experimentation. And and since I haven't got it quite installed yet, I haven't really gotten to the point at which it seems quite real yet, Mm -hmm. but I am thinking about it.
1: Yeah. This is a business. And have you thought about how many people are clamoring for spontaneously fermented ales? This is this is a not a setup. I actually I love I love Gerz's and and lambic style beers. So I would love to hear you say that there's a giant market.
2: Well, you know, I don't think there is necessarily a giant market. <laughs> I mean, part of what I'm going to do to get help get this program started is I'm going to be uh buying and uh buying spontaneously fermented beer from a couple of other sources. I'm going to have Beer shipped out, some wood beer shipped out from New Belgium, and I'm going to drive a truck down to Buellton here in California, down to the Firestone Walker Barrel Works, Mm -hmm. and buy beer from them to help inoculate my fooders, Mm -hmm. sort of give the whole thing a sort of a kickstart. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I'm able to do that is because both of those places have honestly more wood beer than they know what to do with, mm. because the market is not enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if anything, that's one thing that kind of informs some of my other thinking about the project. And th- and that is that I think in many cases I'm not going to be making what I consider a super rarefied, absolutely <laughs> difficult to approach kind of sour beer but I think a lot of beers cry out for just the minute addition of some sour beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I can do beer of many different many different styles and give it a touch of this and that to sort of give it a, another dimension of sort of an, an interesting character without going whole hog with the sour and rarefied thing. Although I do, I do intend to try that, too. Mm-hmm. I just want to sort of try it, you know go from zero to 100 in terms of its percentage inclusion and see what seems appropriate for various beers and i'm hoping that people are willing to follow along with us but you know it's not an enormous ruinous commitment i've made here i've bought a bunch of fooders i've got a cool ship made and i've got a brewery that can make conventional beer so we'll see how it goes
1: right well i think that that offers an interesting transition into your earlier work uh back at pike and and especially when you started elysian because twenty five years ago, uh, it would have been inconceivable for somebody to build a cool ship or think that they could sell beer. Will you tell us what it was like getting into beer uh, in that era, and and you know what? Compare what you're doing now with what it was like to found Elysian, and and you know talk, go go back in time and tell us about how you got started.
2: Well, I think that was still in the period, you know, back during my early. Years in brewing in Seattle at a few other breweries before Elysian, um, that was still in the period where we were, we were trying, craft brewers and home brewers were trying, above all, to duplicate and synthesize already proven styles mm-hmm. and things like that. There, mm-hmm. wasn't, there wasn't so much innovation yet, right. even though a certain amount of innovation had just sort of happened naturally by the use of American hops and traditional styles and things like that. But back then, I think what people were trying to do was make a a totally kick-ass Pilsner that could stand next to you know something from Bohemia, say, or a wonderfully crafted English-style ale that that a that a Brit would would approve of, that Michael Jackson would love to drink, stuff like that. <laughs> so you know, I think over over the next several years, innovation crept in in various ways. When you know, when IPAs became doubled and tripled, when um, oh, whatever else started happening, and you know, people, I remember reading back then, too, that you couldn't make spontaneously fermented beers anywhere but in the Seine Valley. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. it was just sort of understood that Brussels was the only place you could make those beers in the world. It just wouldn't work anywhere else. Yeah. And, of course, that's been proven wrong. Right. So it's interesting to remember that. And, you know, that, that innovation was something that sort of crept in. It wasn't always necessarily in the spirit of the craft brewing movement as nearly as strongly as it is now.
1: Yeah, I talk to people about that, that there, when when people talk about craft brewing, there's really competing impulses. There's one toward innovation, which you've described, but there's also this uh, long tradition of traditional brewing, European brewing, uh, which is also an important part of the craft of making beer. And it seems like in 1995... Uh, there was a much like you said there was a far greater focus on trying to refine the, the the craft of making beer in a you know in a traditional way that was already extant in in Europe you know one thing that has changed now is we actually have had decades of experience in the marketplace and you know what people are going to like when you started Elysian in, in 1995 did you have a sense of what people wanted in Seattle and you know what 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 kind of business model you should have or you know were people drinking on draft or what kinds of beers were they drinking what did that look like back then
2: well seattle was a, was a you know seattle seattle and portland san francisco as well we had a pretty sophisticated beer culture you know there were people you know did have some knowledge about beer styles that kind of thing um, i think i did have a pretty good awareness of what i thought people in seattle would like because I'd spent the previous few years between my experience at Pike Place and starting lesion at uh, big time brewery in the U district in okay. Seattle. And so that was a place where I really had an opportunity. with a brew pub, 14 barrel brew house. I really had an opportunity to brew sort of some of the standard beers that that place that had produced, but also to try out some new styles, things that they had never brewed before and get people's reactions to them. It was the first time I was really able to, uh, you know, involve the, involve the customer in that kind of market. Um, I mean, my very first job was at a, another place in Seattle that unfortunately didn't last very long. And so we didn't have a very large customer base to, to bounce ideas off of. And that was also back in 1990 when things were even more, um, more straightened, but, um, Anyway, I did have a chance to experiment with different things and see what people's preferences were, and I had a pretty good idea based on that experience what my initial portfolio at Elysian was going to be. Mm-hmm.
1: That brewery, I think it's safe to say, was was the most important of the second wave breweries after Red Hook and, and Pyramid in Seattle, uh, and and Which really brewery? Uh, Elysian. And really oh. helped, kind of. Die, I I think is that is it seems safe to say from our view down here in uh, uh, Portland. Am I wrong about that? Feel free to boast. No, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you were really uh, leading the pace in a lot of ways. And uh, I'm wondering if you want to reflect on the evolution between in those 20 years between the founding of that brewery and and its sale to uh, AB InBev and just the maturation of the market and and the change in the way people approached and drank beer at that period
2: yeah well that's a big question you just asked there. <laughs> um, i think uh you know this just sort of puts me back in the mind of uh the one book that you didn't mention at the beginning that i wrote was the brewer's association guide to starting your own brewery which was sort of a collection of chapters um you know, devoted to different aspects of starting a business and getting a brewery off the ground. Yeah, I And read one that thing one. I've often reflected on, somewhat, you know, kind of ruefully, kind of I'm a little bit ashamed that there, there were a couple of chapters I wish I had, had included in there, but at the time that I wrote it, it, didn't, it hadn't occurred to me. One was the importance of having uh, a mission statement and strong core values and beliefs mm-hmm. when you start not just a brewery but any business so that you and your partners have some language that you can refer to that you all agreed on Mm -hmm. at the outset. And you can change that, but you, but you have those words that are there and you can, you can run that through the, use that as a filter by which you judge any opportunity or challenge that comes up. And you can look at each other and say, remember, we agreed on this. Does this opportunity fit with what we decided back then? So we never did that, you know? And, uh, I think it sort of showed in the way the company changed and we all grew apart from each other that we never had common language that we had agreed on and maybe changed over the years to sort of make decisions as things came along. The other one is, you know, the other chapter that I would have included would be about exit strategy. Mm Because when we started Illusion, you know, that was, you know, quite a while ago when you were asking people to invest money in your project. You weren't supposed to express any idea that you would ever leave any any way other than on a slab. You know, you were going to work that that pla- work that place to your till you died in order to justify the investment by people you were asking to do that. So, I mean, that's just plain naive and kind of dumb. And I think an awful lot of breweries are in that position, um, now and have been for a while that they don't really know how they're going to get out of it Mm -hmm.
1: that's a fascinating comment uh, about not knowing you know not having a a set of values and a kind of mission statement at elysian what the how did that start to fray which which different directions is the ruby being pulled
2: (laughs) well for one thing a partnership of three is an awkward number (laughs) yeah you know it's always two against one right and in the course of our history, it was two against one in all three combinations. Mm-hmm. And it was just that at the end, it was my turn to be the one out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing. I don't know. You know, people change over time. You know, mm-hmm. we all started up with a common love of beer and a certain amount of ex- experience homebrewing and all that stuff. Although, I actually, my, my former partner, Dave, I don't think has ever brewed a batch of beer. Oh. I think he told people he was the brewer at times. Um, <laughs> But uh, I don't know. I don't know how to attribute it. I don't, I don't want to, you know, sort of backbite or anything like that. But people change and people grow apart.
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking even in, in terms of the AB deal. Just, you know, you, you could see certain different... Uh, threads, just even looking from the outside, you, you know, you had wonderful projects like the, the pumpkin beer uh, festival and the, the kind of uh, corporate beer sucks, which was another trend. And um, (laughs) I think the focus on um, pub consumption was a really big feature. I think an important feature of Elysian. So there were all these different threads. And I was just wondering, like, were, did they have different, were were different people focused on different aspects as, uh, you know, as things went on that, that might have been knitted together if you'd had a mission statement that, you know, kind of kept you on the same page.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, certainly my, my area of responsibility was the beer. Uh, and also as time went on and I did more writing and, speaking and things like that, you know, it was brand building in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some disagreement among us about how much of my time should be devoted to that, even though I did always ask permission. So, you know, we had our areas. And I think, also, I think by the time Elysian was sold, we had five locations. We had four four uh, different serving establishments, three with breweries in them. In Seattle, we had we had the bar downtown and we had our production brewery. And that meant that we were all all over, all over the place mm-hmm. I mean, when you even have two locations, if one of your people isn't in any given one of them, you think, "Oh, he must be over at the other one." Mm-hmm. Well, he might be at home right. he might <laughs> be off doing something else, but but you just don't know, and I think it's kind of inevitable that you spend less time in each other's company and you develop different priorities
1: mm-hmm. yeah so w- do you have anything that you'd like to add uh, about how the A B deal? came about and, and comments on that. I know that you've spoken on that before. Uh, we haven't heard you talk about it, but... Um, uh,
2: well, <laughs> it's, I mean, the nuts and bolts of it are fairly simple. I mean, I, w- I was approached um, at the judge's reception for the World Beer Cup, I think it was, or maybe it was, yeah, it was the World Beer Cup. It was one of the years when I was in San Diego by a guy who worked for AB with whom I judged many times and whom I knew reasonably well. Um, And he, you know, asked if, you know, he established that Elysian was still independent and would we be willing to talk about, you know, some possibility with AB. And while I wish that I had, I mean, I, in retrospect, I think what might have happened if I'd followed my inclinations and said, no, we aren't interested, (laughs) you know, that would have satisfied me. Right, But I felt that as a partner and as a representative of a business that had 26 other investors, it was my responsibility to take that the, a record of that conversation back and report that it had happened. And, you know, I had no idea that it would meet with such enthusiasm by my other two former partners, but it did. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, discussion opened, a visit was made, um, and it went on from there. And nothing really that I could do could stop that. Yeah. Well, that's not entirely true. I could have stopped it by destroying the company. I, mean, <laughs> I think that was the only other real choice I had, and I wasn't about to do that.
1: Sure, sure. It's a it's a wonderful institution and it's still a great place to go in Seattle, I think that would have been a real loss to the city. So, you wouldn't ha- ha- having spent 20 years building it, that uh, seems like a a bad move.
2: Yeah, but I just mean, to, you know, as a logical contention, right. I have to, you know, say that that was, was an option, it was never an option.
1: <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you had this experience, kind of traumatic experience, um, as you exited this brewery help build, what lessons did you take from that experience, everything you've just talked about as you looked at this new Magnolia project?
2: Well, um, Hmm. You know, um, I, I have to sort of tell a little joke on myself about those two chapters I'm not quite sure I have an exit strategy. Here. <laughs> but uh, but I did I wasn't quite ready to retire. You know, I I walked away from Elysian. I I wrote and traveled and was the BA's quality ambassador for the next couple of years and then and then uh decided that I wasn't really ready to not work anymore at all and it seemed like a really interesting project. Um I kind of felt like as I as I sort of alluded earlier in this conversation uh, I kind of felt like it was a way of turning back the clock to, to a time when I considered working at Elysian a lot more fun mm-hmm. than it was toward the end for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been that comfortable working in a sort of an industrial setting. I think my strengths as a brewer are are more improvisational. Mm. Um, you know, I, my friend Val, you know, you know, he always he, he points at different friends of ours and what their greatest strengths are. You know, like John Mallett is the smartest guy that he knows in the industry. And Matt Brennelson is, you know, pro- probably the most proficient at, at, you know, running a big brewery and all that. And what he calls me is the best seat of the pants brewer. <laughs> and that's really kind of true. So um, when I, when the Magnolia possibility arose, it was sort of taking back time to the point at which deletion had the Capitol Hill pub and maybe Tangletown, Mm -hmm. you know, a place where you could totally fool around with low low stakes and a place where you could make enough beer to make the business work. Mm -hmm. So that was one lesson that I took, Um, and I guess, you know, I've always – when I took over at Big Time from Ed Tringali, I tried not to change anything immediately mm-hmm. and then gradually grow into some of the innovative things that I did there later. And I kind of took that approach here, too, because I didn't want to alienate Magnolia's loyal customers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I did want to clean things up. I wanted to, you know, lighten some recipes and eventually get to the point at which we could do a much more wholesale change, which we have by now. So I think there's some caution there. Um and and just sort of a recapturing of some of the fun
0: uh dick this is patrick so one thing i'm interested in is that you talked about how sort of it gets more complicated like as Legion grew into multiple locations and you have two locations you sound very comfortable with that setup at magnolia do you anticipate growing more or are you quite comfortable and this is something that lots of i think craft brewers face right
2: well yeah i mean in california you're allowed to have up to six tasting rooms with a single brewery license. Oh. Huh. And I think we are interested in doing that kind of expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh you know, I think the, that that's another the, the that's the benefit of some of the experience that I had at Elysian as well. Now that would not mean that I wouldn't be running all of them to the extent that I was back when I was doing all those different locations at Elysian. Right. You know, we would definitely have people you know, from the company, you know, running that tasting room, because we probably wouldn't have a brewery there. We can produce the beer here at the dog patch location to be able to support that kind of thing. Right. Um, one thing that I do think we I've gotten a lot more conservative about is expanding geographically. I mean, at, at right. Elysian, we, you know, pretty once we started moving in other states, we were in about I think we were in 10 states or so. Here I'm wow. really delighted to only be distributing in California and almost entirely in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, and we've got the two pubs to support a lot of that stuff, and we've got various other deals to produce beer. We also have our arrangement with New Belgium, so that we if we if we do have a volume beer, we can brew it there and can it there, and you know take take care of that and keep the smaller breweries for more innovative purposes. Um, I'm I think I've strayed off the off the basis of your question, but but yeah, I'm interested in in doing that sort of tap room thing, but not necessarily, you know, really expanding the brand beyond just having more places to serve the beer. Mm-hmm, right. Well,
1: uh I think that's most of what we have here. Um it's pretty cool that you're you were described as the seat of the pants brewer, because I think another Uh, synonym for that is spontaneous, so now you're entering your spontaneous (laughs) phase formally, so that's good. (laughs) We we are uh, very interested to see what you come up with. Wild
0: yeast will keep you on the seat of your pants. That's right.
2: (laughs) I think so.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, We are excited to uh, see what you come up with, and one thing Patrick and I try to do from time to time is take a trip to a place and do a bunch of uh, uh, brewery tours and, and podcasts, so maybe we will make a trip to San Francisco and see you in situ and see the absolutely see we have I would going would love on. to show you around. Yeah, that would be great. That was fun. All right. Well, until then, uh, we'll wish you well and uh, we'll stay in touch.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Thank you, Dick.
0: Okay, and many thanks to Dick Cantwell again, head of brewing operations from Magnolia Brewery, uh, for joining us on the pod. Absolutely. And now, Jeff, it's time to turn to our. Uh, well, we're going to do kind of a Sherpa tasting today.
1: Yeah, I have a special. This I think this is the first time, 73 episodes or something, and this is the first time we've done both a Sherpa and a tasting. And the excitement is that I have a beer from New York City. I was recently in New York City. This was one of the best beers I had in New York City.
0: You're going to have to go through about 80 hours of audio because I think maybe we've done it once before. <laughs> so let, tell me about this beer <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know it's possible we mentioned sometime that I was in New uh, York but I'm
0: pretty excited that we're doing a Sherpa every time now the Sherpa of course is our uh, recommendation of a great beer yeah. bring you along on your beer journey uh, we're Sherpa you through so uh, tell me about the beer
1: so this is a brewery uh, called Threes in Brooklyn in Carroll Gardens mm-hmm. uh, and it actually it's, I'm sorry it's in Gowanus um, it's not in Carroll Gardens I, I apologize Uh and we did a little bit of a, of a uh, brewery pub crawl one day there. And this was the th- the final one that I went to. Uh, and it was, I think, one of the most impressive of the, the breweries that I visited. Uh, yeah. And they're, they have a flagship called Vliet. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a Pilsner. Okay. So al- already, you know, they're kind of- Different. Different. They're and not making hazies. It's like they're, you know, they're reading my mind. So uh-huh. that's good. But this is their a special version of Vliet, which is- uh, Fermented or aged on wood.
0: Uh, yeah, food or, food or fermented pilsner. It's fermented. Called. Okay, fermented. So that's yes. interesting.
1: And I had this it was the very last beer I had on a long pub, long pub crawl, uh, and I had it after I had bleat, and it blew me away. So nice. The challenge is: will it is will it hold up? Will it travel through was a can? That was I just high on my experience of <laughs> Brooklyn? You're high on life, man. Was I high on life, or was this beer that good? So I'm I'm as excited to try it as you are. So let's crack this sucker open. It's called Kicking and
0: Screaming from Three's Brewing. Kicking and Screaming from Three's Brewing. We have it in a can. It's cold. Here we go. Nice. Not too foamy. I wrote that road in my backpack on the way over here on the bike. It's yeah. It's had a time, some time to settle down oh that's nice i'm gonna since we only have one beer i get to put in two glasses so we can each enjoy it at the same time oh that's true rare <laughs> which probably can make better audio uh so we don't have to wait for each other okay so that's
1: i had the Vleet last night uh the brewery sent me some beer i didn't actually bring this back and <sighs> thank thank you to threes for <sighs> sending this along that aroma's yeah spectacular. one thing one thing i noted about the i think the Vleet is characterized so much by the yeast, and we often say that yeast is not a big component of lager. And but this this beer has absolutely spectacular crisp tiny little bit of sulfur, which I love. Uh super aromatic. Yeah, it's uh it's
0: quite it's quite cloudy, it's quite hazy. It is. It's just kind of like a keller beer. I mean it's yeah, wood age, so yeah. that's nice. And it's got uh, a really nice creamy head. Great head. Yeah. It it's uh retains very well. Here we go.
1: Mm.
0: Oh yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Oh, that's fabulous.
1: That is fabulous. So I'm really happy that I had the Vleet last night because now I can do a, com- a comparison. This yeah. this one is softer. It's got a really rounded, soft quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the Vleet is is stiff and effervescent and you know sparkling. This is this really. It, it's very much
0: like a Keller beer. It's got a soft kind of. It is. I, I, that's, that's the perfect way to describe it. It's really well. It's soft and rounded out. It's got very soft edges. It's, 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 it's Franconian. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a good Sherpa, man. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So thank you to Threes for sending that along. Yeah, that's it's got great. Really,
0: it's got a really nice, a uh, really nice mouthfeel. think it's very you, refreshing too. I
1: think you may have to be in the New York City area to track this beer down. Uh, I don't know how far away it goes, but <laughs> there's like 10 million people in the New York City area, so. Which know. is
0: nice because we're, of course, constrained by geography, so a lot of our Beer recommendations are local because they have to be. Uh, So this is really nice. Good job. And if people want us to consider their beer for the Beer Sherpa, you know where to send it. That's right. Although they should probably send it to me and not you. (laughs) (laughs) We can arrange that. Uh, Okay. So this was uh, Three's Brewing Kicking and Screaming Fooder Fermented Pilsner. Excellent. Fantastic. Mm. That's going to be good. I'm going to keep drinking that. Okay. Now we have the mailbag. Yeah. And our mailbag is going international, bro. Bro, <laughs> oh, we we
1: have we have so much mailbag now i've had to be selective so if you're if you don't hear your comment i'm sorry uh, but thank you for really stepping up your game that's fantastic
0: all right so uh the first one comes to us from uh lee from brisbane australia fantastic uh lee writes just a note to say hello as as a listener to podcasts covering beer i have just started listening to your podcast over the past four weeks Oh, that's good. So he started with the good stuff. Right. I have enjoyed your subjects and presentations. And apparently he discovered this via a local pod called Brews News. So thanks, Brews News. I appreciate that. Uh, So we'll kick you back. Hey, check out Brews News. Yeah, right. (laughs) I haven't, (laughs) but you should. Uh, Their last show interviewed Dr. Tom Shellhammer. Uh Aha. My colleague at Oregon State, professor of fermentation science from Oregon State University, who is out here giving talks to brewers and hop growers in Tasmania, Brisbane, and Sydney. Uh, and we interviewed po- Tom. Thank you for looking this up back in uh, Pod Thirty Five.
1: Yeah, so that's fantastic. It, it's got to be a solid podcast if they got Tom.
0: Yeah, Tom's a fascinating. Tom's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you're in the Corvallis area, you can go check out the the brewery. I think uh, I think they let people well, at least check that part out. Um, but he's got a really neat. Uh, they've got a, a newly modernized brewer brewery down in uh, on the campus of Oregon State University. That's right. It's a cool little test brewery. The that- Brewers their love, so yeah. check it out. All right, uh, you 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 read the next one. All
1: right, via Twitter we have a, a comment from Brian Sorensen who says, "I was listening to the podcast episode on Hefeweizen, the original hazy, and thinking about unfiltered wheat. It's not a Hefeweizen by style, but perhaps Boulevard's most popular early beer, uh, pop, popular beer early on. Still tasty, tests stands the test of time, and I think that's right. I, there actually we didn't talk about this, but outside the Pacific Northwest, the 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 un the the ungerman wheat beer just a kind of gentle weedy mm-hmm. ale uh, right. has been really common uh, and there are some amazing examples there's three floyd's gumball head bell's oberon newglarus's spotted cat spotted cow oh the spotted cow yeah so there's a, this is this thing is is actually uh, kind of a, an American specialty and I think it makes a lot of sense that in the Midwest you see a lot of these beers because in the Midwest, a lot of people look out their windows and see wheat fields. So. Yeah,
0: and since we recorded that pod, I was thinking because you know, at least in in uh, uh, in Oregon, you know, because of uh, Widmer, the hayfever he- became sort of popular. But then it kind of you know there was the 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 pendulum swung away again, and I feel like that they, they might be in in uh, ready for a rebirth because of the the hazy IPA fad. Who yeah, knows? could be. Who knows? Yeah, we'll watch. <laughs> All right, uh, so that. That ends the pod. There ends the pod. <laughs> <laughs> so a few words going out. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us uh, five and even, stars, please. And you can even leave a review. Turns out, so leave-
1: yeah, that would be great. Actually, I was reading those recently, and they're actually very cool. You should go check them out. It's wonderful to read. What you guys people have reviewed us. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. They, there's there's <laughs> comments on there. <laughs> nice. They're they're nice. <laughs> that actually made me feel less like a, a you know, a, it's probably all due to producer will, but but it's
0: cool to read those. Yeah, subscribing, rating, and reviewing us helps other people uh, find and uh, uh, spread the word about our show. So we'd love to hear from you too, so please send us your questions, comments, jeff at beervana blog.com is the email to use, or visit us on social media. You can DM either of us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, jeff blogs at the Beervana blog. He tweets at Beervana, and he also has the Beervana blog Facebook page, which is another good place to leave comments.
1: That's right. And Patrick, you'll find him tweeting at Beeronomics. You will. All right. In fact,
0: I tweeted the other day. God, God bless isn't you, that, man. is that good? That's like, just above and beyond. <laughs> is that what you're supposed to do <laughs> once a month or something? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, put yourself out there, uh, Jeff. I'd like to thank you for bringing this kiss, kicking and screaming because I'm, um, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, and so, we'll cheers. Going out. All right. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Till next Patrick. time.